relief factor, pain relief that's natural, pain relief that works, and pain relief that attacks the source of the pain. That's the experience of tens of thousands of Americans who are taking Relief Factor right now. See their incredible video endorsements at relieffactor.com and then order your three-week quick starter pack for just $19.95. That's less than a dollar a day. Find out if it can work for you like it works for me by ordering your three-week quick starter pack today. Relieffactor.com, relieffactor.com. Be the next success story. Anybody who's looking at this carefully realizes that there's a distinct anti-science flavor to this so if they get up and criticize science nobody's going to know what they're talking about but if they get up and really aim their bullets at tony fauci well people could recognize there's a person there so it's easy to criticize but they're really criticizing science because i represent science that's dangerous to me that's more dangerous than the slings and the arrows that get thrown at me and if you damage science you are doing something very detrimental to society. Um, egos. I've met a lot of egos in this rank, fetid, mallowed response that is Washington, D.C. But I've never met a person who says they are science. I'm not sure Newton or Einstein would have said they are the science. That's Anthony Fauci, who uh, must be doing something right, as I uh, found yesterday and I shared with you on the show. His uh, Speaker's Bureau, now that he's uh, free to take these kinds of gigs, has him advertised. This is actually from the Speaker's Bureau, a screenshot. Anthony Fauci, motivational speaker, healthcare speaker, a cost speaker's fee range, fifty to $100,000. I guess I'm in the wrong business. Let's get serious, though. What has the pandemic and the health bureaucrats, what have they wrought on this nation and Western civilization? Let's invite a man who has been outspoken. He's paid a price for his cleaving to the truth, an individual who I've heard speak many times now on Twitter, on these Twitter spaces forums. We are delighted to have with us from the Ethics and Public Policy Center, none other than Dr. Aaron Cariati. Dr. Cariati, welcome to America First. Thanks, Sebastian. Great to be with you. So much to discuss. I want to get your reaction to that, you know, evergreen clip from uh, St. Fauci. But first things first, let's um, get the bona fides out there. You have a very interesting background, a very kind of liminal set of qualifications in the health sector, also psychiatry. So will you talk to us about um, your professional credentials before we get into the nitty gritty of Fauci, COVID and the uh, what did you call it in your book? Let's put the book up for a moment. This very, very. Very ominous the, phrase. The, the new biomedical ab- security. The state, biomedical yeah. security state. The book is the new abnormal. Dr. Kediati, just a few words of introduction. Yeah. So as you mentioned, I'm a physician. I specialize in psychiatry, and I spent most of my career at the University of California, Irvine, up until about a year ago. And while I was there, I spent half my time teaching, researching, uh, doing clinical work in psychiatry, and the other half of my time was devoted to work in bioethics, medical ethics. So I directed the ethics program there at at the hospital, chaired the ethics committee, chaired the ethics committee at the California Department of State Hospitals, and and did work in ethics and public policy up until I challenged the university's vaccine mandate in federal court. And as a reward for challenging that policy on legal and ethical grounds, the university fired me. So now I'm happy to be affiliated with Ethics and Public Policy Center, the Brownstone Institute, some very fine independent 
uh, think tanks to continue my work looking at uh, public health and public policy uh, in addition to my clinical work as a physician. Well, I've been impressed listening to you on those various uh, platforms where I've heard you speak and debate these issues. So University of California, Irvine, and uh, it's hard to get rid of academics. It's, it's almost as hard to get rid of an academic as a government employee. So I'm curious, <laughs> um, what was the stated reason? Why, why were you terminated from, from the university? So the stated re- reason was alleged noncompliance with the very policy, the vaccine mandate that I was challenging. I challenged it on behalf of people like me that had infection-induced immunity or so-called natural immunity after recovering from COVID, which I got very early on in the pandemic, treating COVID patients in the hospital. And uh, I I say alleged noncompliance because the university twice rejected my medical exemption that was signed by my physician. Uh, And the university also refused to work with me in the way that they had worked with other faculty members to, you know, put me on sabbatical or work from home, do remote work only. Uh, I was willing to be flexible so that they wouldn't have to uh, compromise, in my case, on their policy. But I also wasn't going to compromise on my stance toward the policy. So the university used that pretense to get rid of this, uh, this inconvenient person who had the gall to publicly challenge them. I first challenged the policy in the pages of the Wall Street Journal And then after they finalized the policy, I decided to challenge it in court because I thought it was unethical. And indeed, I still believe it's unconstitutional. And what happened to your your legal challenge in the courts? So the legal challenge in the court, uh, the court did not uh, side with me in that case. They sided with the university on a rational basis review of their policies. So the, the court uh, basically said, we don't believe there's a constitutional right at stake and uh, on that on that judgment, it was impossible for me to win because we couldn't really get into the science of natural immunity on a ras- rational basis review. All the university had to show was that it had a plausible reason for putting the mandate in place. It didn't have to show that the mandate achieved its public health purpose or that the benefits outweighed the harms or that it was narrowly tailored. So unfortunately, the courts have been you know, very reluctant on these issues to uh, to to do anything other than kind of procedural law. Did this entity have the authority to you know, initiate this mandate? They don't want to get into the fact finding on uh, on the actual science. And so I wasn't able to prevail in court in that case. But I have a, a couple of other cases actually in federal court that we're making more progress on that have to do with free speech and and medical freedom. Well, I've listened to a couple of your interviews of late. I have a whole list of things I want to ask you on my phone. Uh, but let's start with the reaction. Uh, you're, ha- have you ever met anybody of the ilk of Fauci who actually has the temerity not to believe, but to actually state publicly that I am the science, Dr. Cariati? No. So cr- real credible, actual scientists never talk like that. Um, scientists don't even say things like the science says, capital T, capital S. They they say things like, well, this study concluded or the results of this meta-analysis suggested. I mean, they're nuanced. They're they're aware that science is a complex set of methods to investigate the natural world. And the findings of science are always open to discussion, debate. Science progresses not through 
pronouncements from on high. Science progresses but, 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 through... But, but, and, and this idea that it's based on consensus, as if, I mean, do scientists... Yeah. Is, that, is that what you do at UC Irvine? Do you sit in a big hall and then you vote as to whether gravity exists? I'm curious. Not at all. No. Science is almost the, the opposite of consensus. Science is based on um, conjecture and refutation and an analysis and reanalysis. Uh, it's open-ended. And you put a group of scientists in a room together, they'll debate endlessly. And they don't they don't decide who's right by taking a vote. They decide who's right by continuing to advance the research and continuing to refine the research uh, until uh, findings emerge that are you know difficult to contradict. So what we have with a man like Anthony Fauci is not science, but what I call in the book scientism, the sort of totalitarian conception of science, the, the attempt to monopolize knowledge by claiming that I am speaking for science or on behalf of science, which basically excludes people without the credentials or without the microphone from the realm of rational conversation. And this is exactly, Sebastian, what totalitarian regimes do. The central feature of all totalitarian regimes is not concentration camps or secret police or men in jackboots or even mass surveillance, as bad as all those things are. The central feature, according to Eric Vogelin, the 20th century political theorist who studied totalitarianism, the central feature is the forbidding of certain questions. Yeah. Right? The inability to ask questions, to raise questions, and to say, you know, do masks really work? Are these vaccines as safe and effective as, you know, the people on TV are claiming? And what we see with Anthony Fauci and so many of the talking heads on TV is not science, but this totalitarian scientism. Uh, that uh, is basically a power play. It's I would add. Move. I would add one more key um, characteristic from, in fact, the uh, formerly classified long telegram from George Kennan when he was asked to explain what the Soviet Union is, and he said, "You have to understand that the concept of truth in a dictatorship." is that which has utility to the elite, that which That's has right. utility to the party. So, you know, truth can change within a 24-hour period simply because now we determined that it's no longer that which we need to maintain power. So these, these are key characteristics. We're talking with the author of The New Abnormal, The Rise of the Biomedical Security State. Dr. Cariati will explain what that means for us momentarily. I'm Sebastian Gorka. This is America First One-on-One. This is where we have the long-form interviews with the true experts, with the real newsmakers. If you want to guarantee you never, ever miss an episode, be sure that you are subscribed. Go to your favorite podcast platform. Go to Apple Podcasts. Go to Spotify. Plug in my name, Sebastian Gorka, America First. Never, ever miss an episode. Leave us a five-star review and share the links with your friends because it is us getting the truth out that we will be the salvation of not only our nation but of our civilization. Uh, Dear friends, if you enjoy our show, don't forget, you can dress yourself in America First. You can have America First in your pocket. It is all the gear that is made in America that you have requested. Uh, Our most popular item right now designed jointly with Chris Plant is the FBI T-shirt. But in this case, it stands for Fascist Bureau of Intimidation. We literally can't print them fast enough. We have another T-shirt that is very apposite for our current discussion, aping the Planned Parenthood uh, 
symbols, but it says, my body, my choice. Be free, uh, no mandate. Also, the challenge coin, you asked for it. We designed it with President Trump, America First, and our motto, Stay Frosty. So much more, and including my books, SebGorkaStore.com. That's S-E-B-G-O-R-K-A, SebGorkaStore.com, SebGorkaStore.com. Uh, Dr. Cariati, um, let's... Um, I have so many questions, so where, where should I begin? Let's talk about this thing about vaccines and, and uh, natural immunity. I caught COVID very early on in, in the Christmas, uh, uh, the first Christmas uh, under COVID conditions. I'd been taking prophylactic uh, hydroxy because my, my doctor is a smart, good physician. I had about three days of a little bit of a sniffles, a little mild yeah. flu, and then I was you know back to work. Um, I I find it hard to understand as a kid who's had the the mandatory vaccinations you have when you're whatever four or five for polio and mumps and what have you. My understanding, and tell me if I'm wrong, a vaccine should have permanent or quote unquote semi permanent effect. Why is it that these things that are touted as vaccines today for COVID need to have? quadruple boosters Do, uh, is, is yeah. science being rewritten as we speak it is quite literally the definition of vaccine and vaccinated was changed by the cdc precisely to accommodate these products so the idea that you would need a booster the cdc now recommends you should get a vaccine quote-unquote booster if it's been more than two months since your last dose so I like to ask people, what other vaccine have you ever taken right. where you needed to get re-upped uh, after only two months? And the reason is that the durability of protection from these vaccines was very short-lived. So by with the initial first two doses of the Pfizer and Moderna vaccine, after six months, efficacy against infection had dropped below 50%, which was the FDA threshold for approving a vaccine for COVID. And so people realize very quickly that whatever short-term efficacy they may have uh, given, it didn't last very long. And so then we had a booster, uh, you know, after about six or eight months. But the problem with the boosters is that you get a diminishing return on investment with each additional dose. So the third shot uh, granted efficacy for about two months. And then the fourth shot granted efficacy, I'm sorry, the third shot for about four months, and then the fourth shot for about eight weeks. Wow. And so we are not going to be able to vaccinate our way out of COVID, at least with these products. If we had a sterilizing vaccine from the beginning, a traditional vaccine that could stop infection and transmission of the virus, that may have been a game changer. But we knew from the very beginning that we didn't have that. Uh, but, people, but that's but that's saying, that's 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 the opposite of of what we were told. We were told that you know right. don't kill grandma. I think we've got a clip here from uh, Rachel Maddow. Rachel she Maddow. Was, Thank was, you, Doctor. Yes. It means that instead of the vaccine being able, excuse me, it means for instead of the virus being able to hop from person to person to person to person, spreading and spreading, sickening some of them but not all of them, and the ones that it doesn't sicken don't know they have it, and then they give it to even more people because they didn't recognize they were. Right? Instead of the virus being able to hop from person to person to person, potentially mutating and becoming more virulent and drug resistant along the way. Now we know that the vaccines work well enough that the virus stops with every vaccinated person. So a vaccinated person gets exposed to the virus. The virus does not infect them. The virus cannot then use that person to go anywhere else. 
So that, that's wrong. That's a lie. And even within yeah. that, this idea that it stops it from mutating and getting worse, isn't there some scientific evidence to say the multiple booster regime is actually creating worse infectious results from the COVID variants that are out there? Yeah, that's exactly right. Gert van den Bosch uh, and other very credible virologists have been warning about this from the beginning with these vaccines. If you have a leaky vaccine, uh, which we knew from the beginning, it was never tested to stop infection and transmission. Explain that phrase. Explain that phrase, leaky vaccine. A leaky vaccine, meaning one that doesn't prevent me from uh, spreading the virus to someone else. And one that doesn't, in fact, prevent me from getting the virus. Right. So... These vaccines do not stop infection and transmission. That's what I mean by leaky. We knew that from the beginning. We knew that from the beginning. So not only was Rachel Maddow lying, but Rochelle Walensky, the director of the CDC, was saying much the same thing. So that was fundamentally dishonest. They were never tested to stop infection and transmission in the phase three clinical trials that were submitted to the FDA, the, the decisive study of these vaccines. And within a, a month or two of the mass vaccination campaign in early 2021, it was very clear they didn't stop infection Can and I... transmission. Go ahead. And just to get to your other question, yes, that creates a problem because that allows the virus to continue to evolve precisely to evade vaccine immunity. And the spike protein is evolving precisely in the direction of trying to infect people who have been vaccinated because that's what will allow the virus to continue propagating through the population. Uh, one of the most horrific things I experienced in the last three years is that I went into a store where, and this was, you know, like a year ago maybe, so things were slightly tailing off. I never wore a mask, uh, and everybody's masked in this store. And this young girl, maybe 28, 29 years old, says, put your mask on, please. And I said, yeah. I'm good, I've had COVID. And she says to me in front of witnesses, Please put your mask on because I can't get my two-year-old vaccinated yet. Now, I left the store, but I felt like I should write a letter to this young mother. What in God's name are you doing trying to get a two-year-old vaccinated? Where's the scientific justification? And you said something in an interview that this is the most immoral aspect of all. Using children to protect the elderly or adults we've never done that have we doctor no we we haven't uh, up until now and this is an egregious violation of medical ethics the two most important facts about COVID epidemiologically which were known by april of 2020 uh, number one the infection fatality rate is 0.2 percent uh actually now it's 0.1 percent but at that time it was 0.2 percent with the early variants um and of those 0.2 percent who died the vast majority are over the age of 70. Healthy children, and parents should have been told this from the beginning, healthy children do not die of COVID. Healthy children are much more likely to die of influenza than COVID. The very tiny handful of cases of children who have died of COVID were very, very sick uh, little children who the tipping point could have been any common cold virus, any respiratory virus, They just happen to have COVID at the time when they die. So there is no reason to subject children to vaccination for COVID. Uh, Because it introduces unnecessary risk to that child without any benefit 
to that child. Uh, the website is Aaron Cariati. Please go there right now. It's K H E R I A T Y. You can also follow him at the Brownstone Institute and the Ethics and Public Policy Center. I'm Sebastian Gorka. This is America First. Just when you thought it couldn't get any better, Mike Lindell with MyPillow is launching the MyPillow 2.0. When Mike invented the MyPillow, it had everything you could ever want in a pillow. Nearly 20 years later, he discovered a new technology that makes it even better. MyPillow 2.0 has the patented adjustable fill of the original MyPillow. What impacts you every day? There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time, social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org slash impact. What impacts you every day? There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time, social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org slash impact. And now with a brand new fabric that is made with a temperature-regulating thread, the MyPillow 2.0 is the softest and coolest pillow you'll ever own. For my exclusive listeners, the MyPillow 2.0 has a buy one, get one free offer with promo code GORKA. MyPillow 2.0 temperature-regulating technology is 100% made in the USA and comes with a 10-year warranty and a 60-day money-back guarantee. Just go to MyPillow.com, click on the radio list, the square for the buy one get one free offer enter promo code gorka or call 800-829-8468 that's code g-o-r-k-a go today why was there this global hysteria for a disease that killed less than 0.2 percent of the population so there were political and financial interests at work that wanted to promote the idea that covid was a threat to everyone So during the pandemic, we saw the largest upward transfer of wealth in world history, a world historical scheme of larceny from the working class and the middle class, uh, not just to the upper class, but to the very tip of the pyramid where the tech elites and the world spanning uh, corporations reside. Amazon lobbied for lockdowns on the West Coast, not because they're experts on public health, but because their stocks soared when people were forced to stay at home, do all their shopping online, Uh, Google Facebook, all the rest uh, made tremendous gains when people were forced to communicate only from behind screens. So the push for lockdowns was in part economically motivated. And these are these entities are also powers that were capable of controlling the flow of information. We now know that they were doing it uh, sometimes with pressure from the government, but they were also doing it in ways that served their own interests. Uh, so that's part that's part of the answer. Uh, the, we know that the president and uh, governors gain additional extra constitutional powers during a declared state of emergency. And we're still operating under a federal state of emergency. Uh, 
where President Biden uh, continues to maintain 128 additional extra constitutional powers that he will have to relinquish and that he will no longer be able to de delegate to unelected bureaucrats like the Secretary of Health and Human Services when that state of emergency ends. So what we saw rolled out in March of 2020 was not just a novel, previously untested means of controlling a respiratory virus by trying to lock down the entire population. What we saw rolled out was really a new paradigm of governance that operates in this state of emergency or state of exception. You're correct that the early uh, deaths were in large part due to doctors in the West adopting the so-called Wuhan protocol. We were told by the Chinese who had the, the earliest experience treating the virus that you should ventilate early, which is never done. It's contrary to all ICU protocols for respiratory viruses, because when you put someone on a ventilator, you have to give them sedatives like midazolam uh, or, or opiates so that uh, to suppress uh, the gag reflex, right. the gag reflex and right. to keep them comfortable, right. those cause respiratory depression. And then it becomes almost impossible to get them to wean them off the ventilator. Um, and so ventilation is an extremely aggressive, should be, uh, you know, the, la the last resort. There's lots of ways to oxygenate patients prior to having to ventilate them that we didn't use. And another part of that reason, which is really egregious, is that we decided to protect hospitals and the healthcare system rather than protecting persons. What right? would what so, would that what would that have looked like if we were if we were protecting individuals and not institutions? Yeah. What would the policy have looked like? So the policy, well, first of all, we would never have dreamed of discharging patients from a hospital to send them to a nursing home yeah. when they were infected with COVID, so as to protect the hospital or free up another hospital bed. That was a that was a murderous policy, and there's no excuse for that. Uh, but it also would have involved not ventilating patients because part of the rationale for ventilating patients was we didn't want this aerosolized respiratory virus to uh, infect healthcare workers. And if we keep them on a controlled ventilation, then uh, that can keep the virus wow. uh, more isolated. Okay, so again, instrumentalizing patients, using them as a means to another end, which is contrary to all good medical practice and all good medical ethics. Um, so I was on the front lines. I was seeing as, as both, both as an ethics consultant and as a psychiatric consultant, I was seeing patients in the ICU that were infected with COVID. And uh, it's now very clear that those early treatment protocols were, were disastrous and resulted in a lot of unnecessary deaths. Uh, I don't want to get into the science on early treatment because I'm not an expert in that. But there, there are a lot of people that I think are quite credible, Harvey Risch, Pierre Corey, and others, right. who have also argued that a lot more lives could have been saved with repurposed drugs. And um, I think the data on those is mixed, but based on what I've seen, if they are used early enough and if they are used in adequate doses, they have they have clinical utility and benefit. And the one thing that we've never seen in medicine up until now is things like pharmacists refusing to fill prescriptions for hydroxy or ivermectin written by physicians. Um, that was completely insane. Or hospitals refusing to give extremely safe drugs to very sick patients yeah. um that was that was entirely novel families having to go to court just to just to be able to do a trial of a medication like this i mean ivermectin is safer than most over-the-counter 
medications. It's, it's extremely safe. It's been used in billions of people around the world for decades. And the idea that it would be unsafe to give to COVID patients was, you know, just complete propaganda. Uh, I'm Sebastian Gorka. This is America First coming to you from the relieffactor.com studios just outside the insalubrious fetid swamp that is Washington, D.C. If you have daily pain, if you've tried everything else and failed to find relief, try this product that targets the cause of the pain, the inflammation on four different pathways. Half a million Americans are being liberated every single day. I'm one of them. But it's not just me. It's people like Reggie from Florida. This is Reggie's story. I have a lot of pain from aging. And after only four days of using Relief Factor, I'm already experiencing less pain and stiffness. Can't wait to see how I feel in a couple more weeks. Relief Factor is a blessing sent by God. Remarkable words. Find out for yourself. There's only one way, but it's super easy. Order the three-week quick starter pack at relieffactor.com. It'll be at your door in three days or less. Take it morning and evening like I do. And I promise you, Dr. G's guarantee. By the end of those three weeks, you will know whether it works for you like it works for me Reggie and 500,000 of your fellow Americans. Call today, 800-500-8384, relieffactor.com. That number again, 800-500-8384, relieffactor.com, relieffactor.com. What impacts you every day? There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time, social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org impact. What impacts you every day? There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time, social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org impact. But my biggest concern is the psychiatric damage done to a whole generation. Am I way out here or is this going to be a big problem? Not at all. I, I'm sad uh, and, and heartbroken to report that you're not wrong, uh, that the, the true harms of school closures, the true harms of masking children and all the rest, and, and the fear that children were surrounded with are actually going to take decades to yeah. play out. You don't interrupt a child's verbal, cognitive, emotional development at critical early stages of de development through school closures, through masking and so forth, and uh, not have that basically redound for, sad to say, the rest of that person's life. Um, these things are, uh, the, the harms of these things are only beginning to emerge. And I fear that over the next decade or two, we're only going to see continued evidence of an entire generation of children that has been harmed and compromised by our failed COVID response, by a response that did not slow or stop the spread of the virus, but only did enormous, an enormous collateral damage. And just to circle back on your early question of, of the fear, we now know that the fear was de deliberately promoted by governments that, that extremely sophisticated 
wartime level propaganda techniques that have been refined by the intelligence community for decades since World War II were deployed not against foreign threats, but against right. uh, government's own populations. Uh, we know about this in the UK, the so-called nudge unit. We know Canada was doing the same thing. We now know that similar efforts were undertaken in the United States to deliberately increase the level of fear, to suppress information that would have been reassuring to the population, scientifically credible information that could have set a lot of people's minds at ease, for example, in terms of their child's own risk of COVID. It's hard to imagine how people uh, could have done this sort of damage, not just to rational adults, but to vulnerable children. I mean, there's there's just a lot to answer for here. And I, I, I worry that that the American people are still not ready to take stock of this. Many of them are still sleepwalking. Many of them are still in this kind of hypnotic trance of, um, you know, just continuing to do not only what I'm told, but what I was told to do two years ago, yeah. right? Everyone else has taken off the masks, but I can. I, I recall one young woman that I treated who, when her school finally dropped the mask mandate, it was a private school, very elite school, dropped the mask mandate very late. She said, I'm going to continue wearing the mask to school, not because I'm worried about COVID, but because I don't want to show my face. Give us some examples, Dr. Keriati, of what the yeah. biomedical security state is. So this is the welding together of three things that used to be distinct. Number one, an increasingly militarized public health apparatus. And I'll talk more in a minute what I mean by that. Number two, the use of digital technologies of surveillance and control to manage entire populations. The, the vaccine passport is a good example of the use of this during the pandemic. The, the QR code that you had to show yeah. just to get on a plane, get on a train, go to a restaurant or a social gathering, get back into your own country of origin. You know, back in 2018, if you would have told Americans we're going to be doing this soon, they would have thought that you were insane. Right. Um, but after a year of the of the propaganda and the year of the lockdowns, people were do, willing to do just about anything to get back to a semblance of normal life. But we know that digital technologies were used in much more insidious ways. So, for example, back in 2021, Israel passed emergency legislation allowing the Shin Bet, basically their version of the, uh, the FBI, to extract without the public's consent, track and trace data from their phone to see if they were following lockdown orders or to look at exposures to Omicron. Now, they at least did that publicly it, with, you know, legislation of, from people that could be voted out of office. Canada admitted a few months later uh, that they had been doing the same thing throughout the pandemic, even though Justin Trudeau had promised the public that they wouldn't do so. And their public health had uh, agency admitted they were going to continue doing the same thing on into 2026, using this data for applications beyond COVID. In May of last year, Vice broke the story that the CDC was doing the same thing. Again, without the notification or consent of the public, the data was supposedly anonymized, but some researchers from Princeton showed that with only four data points, you could actually identify the individual uh, that you know was associated with this particular cell phone. But they were using it to monitor how many people are gathering at a church. How many people are gathering at a school during lockdown orders? So this kind of mass surveillance was uh, was done not just in countries that we would tend to think of as authoritarian, but in countries uh, like the United States and Canada that we thought were more or less uh, free and democratic. So increasingly militarized public health apparatus, digital technologies of surveillance and control, 
All of this backed up by the police powers of the state. So we could think, again, of Justin Trudeau evoking the Emergencies Act for the first time in Canada, not just to remove the truckers' convoy, a peaceful protest from the city of Ottawa, forcibly using a militarized police, but also to freeze the bank accounts of the protesters and anyone who gave money to the protest. So imagine giving 50 bucks to the Freedom Convoy one day and then going to the ATM the next day and you can't take money out of your checking account. That happened in Canada. That happened with the the, the backing of these emergency powers uh, that were accrued by executives under these declared states of emergency. And what's really concerning about this, this infrastructure that I just described, what I call the biomedical security state, is that even though a lot of these specific policy examples of how it worked in the last three years have been rolled back, okay, there are fewer vaccine mandates. There there are not many lockdown orders anymore. uh, That whole infrastructure is in place just waiting for the next declared emergency. And this new paradigm of governance of the biomedical security state requires jumping from one declared emergency to the next to maintain those emergency powers and to advance certain interests in terms of surveillance and control of the population. So we've seen efforts already. I talk about this in the book, the effort over the last actually five or six years to reframe climate change from being primarily an ecological or an environmental issue. And again, just bracket for a moment your views on climate change. It has been reframed as a public health issue. Yeah, if you look we, at the headlines on climate change. Right, we, we've discussed right? this just yesterday with Mark Morano. So the idea that uh, they, the, the climate change isn't a policy area by itself, it's not the environment, it's not connected to economics, it's now public health, and that you would right. be able to use the same uh, extra constitutional powers with the excuse that we're saving the planet. Well, again, this just justifies the further rise of what you have termed as the biomedical security state. The book is the new abnormal. You have to follow this man right now on Substack as well. Uh, I'm Sebastian Gorka. This is America First coming to you from the relieffactor.com studios just outside the insalubrious fetid swamp that is Washington, D.C. If you have daily pain, if you've tried everything else and failed to find relief, try this product that targets the cause of the pain, the inflammation on four different pathways. Half a million Americans are being liberated every single day. I'm one of them. But it's not just me. It's people like Reggie from Florida. This is Reggie's story. I have a lot of pain from aging. And after only four days of using Relief Factor, I'm already experiencing less pain and stiffness. Can't wait to see how I feel in a couple more weeks. Relief Factor is a blessing sent by God. Remarkable words. Find out for yourself. There's only one way, but it's super easy. Order the three-week quick starter pack at relieffactor.com. It'll be at your door in three days or less. Take it morning and evening like I do. And I promise you, Dr. G's guarantee. By the end of those three weeks, you will know whether it works for you like it works for me, Reggie, and 500,000 of your fellow Americans. Call today, 800-500-8384, relieffactor.com. What is your greatest concern the next time around? But let me just talk about two key concerns that I describe in the third chapter of the book, because I think the next step in the advance of this infrastructure that I described earlier are, uh, we are going to see these rolled out in the next couple of years, perhaps connected to a state of emergency or perhaps just sold to the American people on the basis of, of convenience and ease of movement and so forth. One is digital IDs tied to biometric data 
things, you know, your iris scan, your face ID, your fingerprint. Think of the clear kiosk at the airport that allows you to skip to the front of the security line. You give away not only that information as well as demographic information. If you read the fine print on that, uh, you also give uh, that corporation access to your credit report. And eventually, these biometric IDs are going to be tied into uh, the use of data extraction from wearable devices or implantable devices, looking at your moment-to-moment -moment, uh, heart rate, blood pressure, and other metrics that can, that can tell people about your emotional state, right? So you're sitting there watching the presidential debates on TV, and this public-private entity um, that is extracting data from your wearable device can tell exactly what kind of emotional reaction you have to each of the candidates as they are talking and while they are saying certain certain things. These are going to also be tied into uh, means of financial control through the use of central bank digital currencies. So the feds have already floated the trial balloon of the digital dollar. Yeah. Um, there's an attempt to kill decentralized digital currencies to make way for central bank digital currencies. And uh, we probably don't have time to get into all the subtleties of, of those two things here in the interview. But again, chapter three of the book, I talk about how those two things will work in conjunction with the other measures that were deployed during the pandemic to basically create a system of near complete surveillance and control over large populations. And I think that will advance both in subtle ways, sold on the basis of ease and convenience or access to public spaces, and on the basis of declared emergencies where you, you know, you have to sign on to this, you have to, you, you have to, you have to deploy, uh, you know, this mechanism so that we can, we can green light your travel or you, you or, you know, green light your use of of uh, you know, approved sources of energy or whatever it's going to be. So I think it's really important for Americans not just to do a retrospective on the pandemic, but the pr primary reason I wrote the book is uh, to be forward-looking, to be prospective, to yes, understand what happened to us over the last three years, but, but more importantly, to look ahead to what are those next steps? How are they gonna tie into the infrastructure that's already in place? so that we can stand up and say a collective, no, we're not going to sign on to this. The, the dangers and risks of this far outweigh any conveniences or benefits that you might be you know, pitching to us to make it sound more attractive. We have seen the future and the future is now. We need more like Dr. Cariati. God bless you for doing what you do, for telling the truth. Follow this man, read his book. We will have you back. I'm Sebastian Gorka. You've been listening to America First one-on-one. -on -one. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, keep your head on a swivel. Watch your six, hold the line, never give up, never give in, and stay frosty. brought forth upon this continent a new nation conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. I know not what course others may take, but as for me, give me liberty or give me death. The world will little note or long remember what we say here, but it can never forget what they did here. What your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. Mr. Gorbachev, 
tear down this wall. I can hear you. The rest of the world hears you. And the people... is America First with Sebastian Gorka. Greetings, dear friends. Welcome to America First. We are exactly five hours and 53 minutes away from the State of the Union in dress by the current incumbent in the White House. I wonder what he will be discussing. Somebody on the South Lawn asked him in the wash of the rotors of Marine One what he was going to mention about the balloon episode. It's hard to hear, but you need to hear it because this man allegedly is the president of the United States. Let's listen to President Trump being asked about the China balloon. Does this change your speech tomorrow night, sir, and your foreign policy message? What impacts you every day? There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time, social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org slash impact. What impacts you every day? There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time, social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org slash impact. Okay, for those of you who aren't watching, let let me just describe for you what that video shows. Uh, um, Biden is in a baseball hat. He's asked... Uh, Is the Chinese balloon incident going to change what you have to say at the State of the Union? He says no. Then the second question, harder to hear, is um, why would the Chinese traverse the whole of America with a surveillance balloon? He gets this rictus-like grin, not the journalist, the president, and his response, which I don't know, sounds a bit racist to me, is kind of half-laughingly, he says, Because they're Chinese. Eric, um, isn't that racist to say that a a behavior is because of your ethnicity? Yeah, I I thought we were supposed to elect an anti-racist president in 2020. I thought that, you know, Biden was going to be all about diversity and, you know, we're all all equality, all that stuff. And now he's saying, oh, that's just what the Chinese do is they fly balloons over our country. If you said, like, you know, why is that Irishman drunk because he's Irish or why is that Scotsman so aggressive because he's Scottish? Isn't that the same as saying, well, the Chinese flew, flew through our airspace because they're Chinese? Surely that's bigoted, Eric. I think so. I mean, if, maybe this is his new idea of diplomacy with China. I don't know. I mean, after capitulating to them didn't work, maybe just try being racist at him. 
It's truly, it's truly stunning. And, and as Eric said earlier when we watched that clip, just creepy. Just utterly, utterly creepy. But here's what's worse than that. <clears throat> I'm kind of surprised at the Daily Mail. The Daily Mail was one of the two newspapers I read when I was in the UK. The Evening Standard that everybody read that came uh, you know, uh, out as you were heading home from your work and people would read it on the tube on the subway, on the metro, and then the Daily Mail, which was the kind of most popular conservative newspaper. And this is their – now they're a giant. They are a global giant in terms of news coverage. They're not just a British newspaper. And this is their headline today. Oh, sorry, this is Saturday's headline. Mission accomplished. Now, for those who aren't watching, it shows – a U.S. uh, rigid inflatable boat, a naval vessel, recovering the soft fabric of the Chinese spy balloon on one side. And on the other side, it has that momentary snapshot of the F-22 Raptor detonating its warhead, uh, exploding the balloon up in the the sky. And then the headline is, or the, the, the description of the pictures is, Pentagon releases incredible pictures of Navy pulling wreckage of 200-foot Chinese spy balloon from Atlantic after F-22 shot it down. And then the massive headline, Mission Accomplished. I think that's today's, actually, just the, the event occurred on Saturday. Now, let's analyze that for a second. Mission Accomplished. Now, of course, that's an echo to what? It's the echo of George W. Bush landing on an aircraft carrier in his National Guard uh, Air Force G-suit and uh, during the uh, Iraq operation with a massive banner behind him on the aircraft carrier saying mission accomplished. I don't think I don't think the Daily Mail is being ironic. I think they're trying to echo that moment. But is it a dig at the Biden administration? Who really believes it was mission accomplished? Who can look at that photograph of the wreckage of the surveillance balloon and say, yeah, we did our job? Is it the Biden Defense Department that allowed that enemy surveillance vessel to traverse all of the United States from Alaska all the way down to South Carolina in a diagonal swath across the nation flying above very sensitive areas, military bases, missile silos. Is that mission accomplished to allow it to do that, to collect signals, intelligence across the United States? Or rather, if you are General Lee of the People's Liberation Army of Communist China and you're sitting in Beijing, would you think mission accomplished? No harm's been done to your intelligence-gathering capabilities. Yes, you need to buy another balloon. I'm sure they can afford that. But you have traversed the United States. You have scooped up everything you needed to scoop up. And then eventually, once you're over the ocean that nobody cares about, you were shot down. So yes, mission accomplished if you are our strategic peer competitor, and you are communist China. Now let's put it into context of this administration and the man who 
currently serves as the most senior military officer in the most powerful nation in the world. The disgrace to the U.S. Army uniform, who is Mark Milley. He said the following words, dressed in combats, not in dress uniform, not, you know, in his ceremonial uniform, in camouflage combats. He said this at a public event. Cut 11. Uh, China's not an enemy. Uh, and I think that's important for people to clearly understand. Uh, China is a rising power. Uh, China has been a rising power t- since uh, Deng Xiaoping in 79. And uh, they are going to develop themselves and are developing themselves uh, into a great power. That is not to say, however, that they are an enemy. They are not our enemy. They are not a great enemy. He said that as the chief of staff of the U.S. Army, a man who later became the chairman of the Joint Chiefs, the advisor on military affairs to the President of the United States, a man who in that position admitted in copious lengthy interviews with a left-wing journalist who published them in a book that when President Trump was his boss, the elected commander-in-chief, he communicated with General Lee in Beijing that should President Trump be planning any kind of military action against communist China, he shouldn't worry because he, General Milley, would provide adequate prior warning. This is the same man who allegedly on Wednesday, when told by Biden to shoot down the balloon, the Chinese spy balloon, said no, and we're going to wait until it finishes its mission and is above the ocean. So mission accomplished indeed, especially if you're Mark Milley and the interests you want to protect are the interests of our only strategic-level enemy, communist China. I'm Sebastian Gorka. This is America First. We've only just begun. If you enjoy the show, make sure that you are subscribed. Never miss an episode. Go right now to your favorite podcast platform. Go to Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Plug in my name, Sebastian Gorka, America First. It's absolutely free. Write us a five-star review. Share the links with your friends. And then, while you're online, check out the store. If you are America First, wear America First. Have America First in your pocket. Check out all the amazing gear at sebgorkastore.com, especially the new challenge coin. You asked for it. We made it. sebgorkastore.com. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.